Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Hear the word of the living God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. As though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it is to glorify God in 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 this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the outcome What would be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. May God bless the reading of His Word this morning. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray. We pray, O Lord, that You will sanctify us this morning with Your Holy Word. Set us apart, O God, and cleanse us. Only Your Word has the power to cleanse deep within our souls. Pray, O God, help each and every one of us by the blessed Holy Spirit, that we will hear the words only of God and not of this preacher. We have come to hear from the Lord, from You, O God. So, Father, we pray that You speak to us for Your servant hears and that we only see Jesus and Him crucified, buried, resurrected, glorified. Change our hearts, O God, as has been prayed this morning. We pray, O God, by Your blessed Spirit, change our hearts and open our eyes, as the psalmist says, that we may behold wonderful things from Your law. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for Your glory. Amen and amen. I'd like to recap briefly this morning as we begin this text in this section of this wonderful epistle as the Apostle Peter speaks to the persecuted Christians. If you remember, <clears throat> it's been a while back ago, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, you could turn back with me just a few pages, and let's recap. I believe verse 1 and verse 2 is significant to the surrounding everything that is said in this book. He begins and identifies himself as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we definitely know it's the apostle Peter, right? To those who reside as aliens, this is important. That word is very important because they're aliens, they're strangers. Scattered. Scattered. They're scattered. They're persecuted throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, And then this next section is very important. Who are chosen. They are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. And then he gives the wonderful exhortation at the beginning of the book. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. Now this epistle was written during the time of Nero's reign. Apostle Peter begins as, a, as the epistle here to encourage the persecuted church. And as you well know, Nero was, he was a fanatic. He was a heathen to the utmost. And he loved to give persecution to 
the Christians. He even set Christians on fire on a, door, on, on a post to light up his garden. He had a, 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 a uh, how can you say, a, an obsession of fire, about fire. I'm sure he's obsessed with fire now where he is. In the eternal hellfire, as sad as it is to say, no matter how heathen people are. But this man had an obsession with fire and he burned Rome. Rome was burned down and these Christians were uh, persecuted to a great degree. It's interesting that Peter begins by saying, Beloved, you loved of God. In other words, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Fiery as considering sufferings. Now, what, what he's saying is in the beginning there, he, these are the people, the persecuted church who resides as alien strangers. They're scattered throughout their land. And they're just temporary going through sufferings during this just a short time in comparison to eternity. So he gives the eternal perspective. So this is absolutely cru- critical and to understanding what is going on. And as a Christian, persecuted or not, but persecution will come if you live godly in Christ Jesus. So, this is, we must have the eternal perspective. So every time we open up God's Word, we get the eternal perspective, don't we? It's just temporary residence, foreigners for just a short time, passing through, chosen by God to suffer, to suffer. Just for a short time in comparison to eternity, right? Because eternity, the duration of eternity is on and on and on and never ends. Now as we come to this section in chapter 4, 1 Peter, in verses 12 through 19, it continues by the Spirit of God to comfort, Peter continues to comfort God's chosen people and he gives them exhortations and heavenly wisdom concerning suffering. It concerns suffering incurred. And as Brother Keith has mentioned, which is right in sync with everything he said, it's all because of the name of Jesus Christ. It's not our name, right? It's not us. It's because of the name of Jesus Christ. Hell hates that name. But God has exalted that name above all. And at that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This name. And it's because of this name, God's people suffer. Actually, the word suffering and with the surrounding text and everything is pretty much given 21 times in this epistle. Suffering, suffering, suffering. Suffering was very normal among the Christians in that time period and when the Apostle wrote this epistle, actually the Book of Martyrs, and I'd like to give you a, somewhat of a, a lengthy reading here this morning in my introduction from the Fox's Book of Martyrs to just give a, a small example of how this book opens up about sufferings. And also, there's so many. You have to read this book. It's incredible. It's very thick. It is full of the martyrs of the early church. And even today, there could be another book written of the present persecuted church. And, and, and it's, it's, it's probably just as bad. But this is going to give us an example. It, opens, it helps open my eyes and it help open all of our eyes to see a little bit about suffering here. Fox's Book of Martyrs begins in chapter 1 with these words. And I quote, History of the Christian martyrs to the first general persecution under Nero. That's how far back it goes. And it says this, quote, The history of the church may almost be said to be a history of the trials and sufferings of its members as experienced at the hands of wicked men. At one time, persecution as waged against the friends of Christ was confined to those without. At another, schisms and divisions have arrayed brethren of the same name, again, against each other. And scenes of cruelty and woe have been exhibited within the sanctuary, reviling and horror and direct cruelties ever inflicted by pagan and barbarian fanaticism. This, however, instead of implying any defect in the gospel system, 
which breathes peace and love, only portrays in darker colors the deep and universal depravity of the human heart. Pure and unsophisticated morality, especially when attempted to be calculated on mankind as essential to their preserving an interest with the Creator. It goes on to say, having constantly met with opposition, it was this which produced the premature death of John the Baptist. It was the cutting charge of adultery and incest which incited the resentment of Herodias, who never ceased to persecute Aim until she had accomplished his destruction. The same observation is equally applicable to Jewish doctors in their treatment of our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the sudden martyrdom of John the Baptist and crucifixion of our Lord, the history of Christian martyrdom must be admitted to commence and from these as a basis of the subsequent occurrences we may fairly trace to the origin that hostility which produced so lavish an infusion of Christian blood and led so much slaughter to the progressive state of Christianity. As it is not our business to enlarge upon the Savior's history, I love that, because God's sovereign, right? Either before or after His crucifixion, we shall only find it necessary to remind our readers of the discomfort, of the discomfiture, I'm sorry, of the Jews by his subsequent resurrection. The resurrection changed everything, right? That's why these people were so willing to suffer because they knew Jesus was risen again from the dead. Then he goes on to say, though one apostle had betrayed him, though another had denied him, under the solemn sanction of an oath, and though the rest have forsaken him, unless we may accept the disciple who was known unto the high priest, the history of, the re- of his resurrection gave a new direction to all their hearts. And after the mission of the Holy Spirit imported new confidence to their minds, the powers with which they were endeared emboldened them to proclaim his name, to proclaim his name to the confusion of the Jewish rulers, to the astonishment of Gentile proselytes. Now let me pause here for a second. We see here how the book of martyrs opens up. This is very eye-opening, isn't it? It speaks about the suffering of God's people. With the literally thousands upon thousands of Christians suffering under Nero, thousands and thousands more, much blood given, much blood. Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You cannot stop the church even through the death of the martyrs and the persecuted Christians down through the ages. They were severely persecuted, beloved. There's so much in the book of martyrs. It's actually barbaric and gory, but I'm telling you, it's an eye-opener. I've got an example for you here, and we'll read in just a minute. As I, go on, when I, as I went on to read, there was this godly Christian by the name of Epidotius. Epidotius was a martyr of Lyons, a place called Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. According to the best we could obtain, this is from the Book of Martyrs, who suffered for the gospel, 48 in, mem- in, in, in number at that time pe- period, and their executor- executions happened in the year of Christ, 177. So this is basically, Peter wrote, Around A.D. 64, somewhere around there. This is A.D. 177. But listen to this. Epidotius Epidotius and Alexander were celebrated for their great friendship. The Christian Union, this is one example now, with each other. The first was born in Lyons and the latter was born in Greece. Epidotius. Epidotius. Being compassionated. Listen to this. Compassionated means he was... He was compelled. And, he, and, and we're about to get his last words before he was executed. But listen to this. By the governor of Lyons, and eventually the way I, I gather this is that he is standing before a crowd and before the governor of Lyons. And he was exhorted to join in their festive of, in their festive of pagan worship. So the governor was actually trying to persuade him to join in with their 
pagan festivities and their worship of their false gods. He replied this, and this is what Hippodotia said, quote, your pretended tenderness is actually cruelty. Listen to that. He's basically calling them hypocrites. Snakes, vipers, as John the Baptist said. Your pretended tenderness is actually cruelty and the agreeable life you describe is replete with everlasting death. Christ suffered for us that our pleasure should be immortal and hath prepared for His followers an eternity of bliss. The frame of man being composed of two parts, body and soul, the first as a mean and perishable should be rendered subservient to the interest of the last. Then he says this, Your idolatrous feast may gratify the mortal, but they injure the immortal part. Listen to that. They injure the immortal part. They, that cannot therefore be enjoying life which destroys the most valuable moiety of your frame. Your pleasures lead to eternal, eternal death. And our pains to perpetual happiness. Thus his sermon stops right there. And you think they clapped and said, We so much agree with you, my friend. They were furiated by that rebuke. Hippodius was severely beaten after this and then put to the rack right in front of everybody. They put him on a rack to literally stretch his body. Torture. Barbaric. Upon which, listen to this, being stretched, his flesh was torn with iron hooks. And having borne his torments with incredible patience and unshakable fortitude, he was taken from the rack and beheaded. His life was ended, and they ushered him right into glory. Now, this man suffered. But listen, did you hear his last words? Before he paid the price. He knew the price. Because he saw the glory. He saw the glory. And that Christ suffered for us. That's what he said. Christ suffered for us. That was enough. He shared in the glories of Christ. The sufferings of Christ. Now, this God-fearing man of Podius lived out what the apostle basically said in 2 Timothy. The apostle Paul you could turn with me, Barry. I got a lot of scriptures this morning, but listen to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. The apostle Paul said this suffer hardship with me. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in act of service entangles himself with the affairs of, of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And he basically <clears throat> echoed out what Paul exhorts in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1-5, through 5, Paul gives a, a warning, an exhortation. This is to the church in the last days. Peter is speaking about the last days, right? The end of all things is near. Therefore be sound of judgment, sober spirit, and purpose of prayer. Paul says, but realize this. Realize this. That in the last days... We've been living in those last days for quite some time, but to God's timetable, it's different than ours, but we are in the last days, right? Difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, Conceited, and this is what Epidotius addressed his crowd and the governor at Lyons. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you see this today? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. That's the exhortation, that's the warning. Avoid them. Now, as we come to our text, to 1 Peter chapter 4, he begins by saying, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing may happen to you. 
<clears throat> excuse me, basically by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit coming from God, he gives to the Apostle Peter is he actually is going to draw this theme. He's, I'm sorry, he's going to draw their attention to the recurring theme that Christians' response to suffering. That is basically what he's going to draw them to. What will be the Christian's right response to suffering? And beloved, this is what we've got to keep in mind. We may not be experiencing this kind of severitude of degree of suffering yet, but when it does come, we need to know the right attitude and how to counter and how to respond to it, right? This is huge. So he basically gives them four key features and a proper response. Now, beloved, if we go by God's help and God's grace, we can get a grip on these four key features. We're going to look at two of them today. It will take us a long way in helping us deal with suffering when suffering does come, or whatever the degree is, because God chooses that degree of suffering. We cannot choose that within ourselves. Even though we do choose God, we choose Christ. And in that, in that brings suffering one way or another because this world hates Christ and the truth. Christ is an offense to them because the gospel is an offense to their sin. That's the bottom line. So this will take us a long way in helping us deal with suffering for righteousness sake. And it's for righteousness sake. It's not for something that we're doing. And it's for Jesus' name's sake. And our lives, suffering for, for the gospel's sake, eventually comes our way. And let me say this, as a heads up, and you and I know this, it's right around the, the horizon. Suffering is a wave will eventually come our way. We see it in third world countries right now. But beloved, I'm telling you, it's coming and it's coming very soon. It may be sooner than we think. It, it's not if it comes, it's when it comes. And I, it is my duty as your pastor to help myself and, your, and you to prepare us and to equip us and to ready ourselves when it does come. Now, it may be, I don't know when, but let me say this. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the sufferings of Sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and it's just incredible. Whatever God chooses, He leads us, right? But He gives us the grace. He gives us the grace to endure it. His grace is sufficient. Now, this little outline is not original with me. I got this from Pastor John MacArthur. He's tremendous on this. It's very simple. But uh, we're going to look at two of these points today, of these four features. Lord willing, we look at the other two next Lord's Day. Let's jump right into it. First point we'll be looking at, we find in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised. That's the key word. Underscore that word, surprised. At the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you, for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. So the first point is this. We need to expect suffering. Expect it. Expect it. Suffering for the Christian is inevitable, isn't it? It's going to come. Actually, the real surprise would be if we didn't have suffering. That should be the real surprise. 1 John 3.13 the Apostle John says, do not marvel. In other words, that word marvel says, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. In other words, don't be surprised if they cannot stand you. John chapter 15, 16, Jesus our Lord says time and time again, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. That's the way it is when we follow Jesus Christ. They're going to hate you. And our natural attitude for the Christian is to look upon persecution when it comes as strange and abnormal. And, and, and a lot of times we are surprised when we do are called to suffer, but we should not be. That's really the normal. 
natural response, I should say, but it should be normalized that suffering is going to come to us because we are to, should expect it. Second uh, Timothy 3.12, Paul says this, all who desire to live godly in this present age will suffer persecution. If we desire to live a godly life, we will suffer. Suffer persecution. So the Apostle Peter is echoing that same truth. James echoes the same truth. And they all really get it from the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the one that spoke of this on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look to that in a few minutes. So the Apostles gives us instruction, commentary, actually on what Jesus says. So we're not surprised when suffering comes, right? And we shouldn't be surprised. A godly life confronts the world. Because a godly life confronts an ungodly world. And we become kind of an unwelcome conscience that's very distasteful to them. Actually, it's especially true that those who take a bold stand for the gospel and for Jesus Christ is the object of their wrath and their attack against us. Can I say this? Satan doesn't waste his time and his ammunition and his big guns on nominal Christians. He turns his guns, and let me say his big guns, on those, and he's, those that are storming the very gates of hell. And that's why we need to pray for the leaders, the godly leaders that are taking a stand against this wicked age. I, I noticed here recently, and this is on... The media. And they put John MacArthur on there. He's more on the front lines and very well known. And it was, what, a week or two ago, I believe, that there was a lot of pastors that came together and they called Pastor MacArthur to preach on biblical sexuality. And he addressed the topic about biblical sexuality and according to what the Word of God says, and he quoted from Genesis and what the Lord quoted from, that God made male and female in His image. Nothing in between. No transgender. And YouTube comes and says, we're going to completely take your message off YouTube because of this. Hate speech. Hate speech. Now, MacArthur's on the front line. We should pray for him. But he knows. Beloved, believe me, he knows. And he knows there's opposition. The world does not like to hear this. This is a simple truth. But in the world we live in today, which is upside down and right side up and warped against God's creative order, this is considered hate speech. Well, Satan directs his guns toward those that are on the front lines. We should pray for our leaders. Suffering for Jesus Christ and suffering for who is the truth is actually part of the price and the cost of discipleship. And this is bottom line for following Jesus Christ. And the world often results in, find, in, in, in finding results and somehow kind of suffering to, to make Christians suffer because they speak the truth. You've got to get rid of the messenger, right? Because he's speaking the message. Go with me real quickly to Matthew chapter 10. I want you to see this. I know you've heard it. This, this whole chapter is tremendous. But I'm just going to begin with chapter... I'm sorry, it's, it, it's in chapter... Did I tell you the chapter? Chapter 10. Chapter 10. I'm going to pick up at verse 21 and read it to uh, the end of the chapter. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and He speaks to His disciples, His apostles, and He gives instructions to them. This, this, this is really worthy of a deep, deep study because in this, He's talking about the cost of the discipleship. Now, if you notice in verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocents as doves. Beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues and will 
You will even be brought before the governors and kings for my sake. A testimony to them, to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. We, we saw that example from Epidotius, right? God gave him those words. And they hated it. it. cost him his life, but it ushered him in the glory. Verse 20, For it is not for you, it's not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Spirit of truth. Verse 21, Brother will betray brother to death. A father and his child and the children rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. But you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. You've got to persevere to the very end. But whenever they persecute you, listen to that. They persecute you in the one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he has become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called you the head of the house, if they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of the household, of his household? And that's what they called Jesus. He was casting out demons in the, in the name of demons, the prince of demons. Basically what he's saying there to his disciples, his apostles, is... They did this to me. They're going to do it to you. I'm the master. You're the follower. Verse 26. Therefore do not fear them. I love this here because he gives exhortation and courage to say, you do not fear these people. You do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed. He's talking about the judgment here, folks. And then he says, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. They could, and basically Jesus is saying they could take your mortal life, but they can't touch your soul. Then he says this, but rather you fear Him, God the Father, who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What a verse. What a verse. It directs our full attention that we are to fear God and God alone. No one else. Then he says this, this is a wonderful encouragement. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. What he's trying to tell them is God sees and he knows every single detail, minute detail. God, in all of his infinite wisdom, knows everything. So don't worry about this. God's going to bring it to judgment. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What an encouragement to God's people. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Listen to that. Every single person on the face of this earth, God knows exactly right now the number of their hairs. Do not fear. Again, he says, do not fear. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Now listen to this. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Now we're talking about confession before God. Before men, before men, before God. But whoever denies me before men, I would deny, also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be of, of the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Well, you're talking about Jesus must be everything. Jesus has got to be everything. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then listen to this. And he who does not take his cross, that's suffering. Suffering for Jesus' sake. And follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my, for my sake will find it. He who receives you, receives me. He who receives me, receives him who sent me. Talking about the Father. He who receives a prophet, receives a prophet. In the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. 
But he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Jesus takes account of every little small detail. Isn't that wonderful? So beloved, this is the cost of true discipleship to follow Jesus Christ. Now back to our text. I want you to notice the one word, beloved. Peter says, beloved. Can I tell you this is a pastoral word? This is a pastoral word that conveys tenderness, compassion, affection, and care. Beloved means you are loved of God. Now what an encouragement. Now, there's a reason why the Holy Spirit put this upon the heart of the Apostle Peter. Because we must remember in the times of persecution and great suffering that we are loved of God. God loves you. We are tempted to believe that during great times of persecution and suffering that God somehow does not love us. But that's wrong thinking, isn't it? This infinite love that God gives us is like a sweet pillow a sweet, sweet pillow to the believers who goes through such persecution in the midst of trials, sufferings. Now, like I said, when severe suffering comes, one could be tempted to doubt God's love and allow the same thought to enter their minds that prompted Job's wife to say these awful words to Job. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what she was telling Job. Well, the Apostle Peter seeks out to reassure his persecuted readers. You're beloved. You are loved of God. We must remember that. If times of suffering comes upon us, we are loved of God. You are chosen of God. You are God's... You are the apple of God's eye. God loves you. You are loved of God. And we should not be surprised that we're being persecuted. We should not be shocked that difficult times has come. Don't be surprised when the world hates you, right? Because we know that that is to be expected. Don't be surprised when they're hostile to you. Don't be surprised when they mock you. Do not be surprised if they lie against you and do all speak falsely against you for Jesus' name's sake. We should not be surprised, right? When suffering goes along with the Christian faith. Actually, Peter gets... This from our Lord Jesus Himself from Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. Our Lord says this, I know we're familiar with it, but doesn't it bear repeating time and time again to let it sink in our minds and that we least we forget that God loves us? He said, blessed are those. You're blessed. And that's what Peter says. You're blessed. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's your reward. You get the kingdom. God's kingdom. And Jesus even goes on to say, blessed are you again when, you're, when people insult you and persecute you and, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus says, there's a reward for you. A great reward. He said, be glad. And then He gives us wisdom and how to respond. Rejoice and be glad I like the translation really in the old King James, be exceedingly glad. I like that word exceedingly because it lifts it to another level. (laughs) Exceedingly glad. Because there's something wonderful. There's glory waiting you for your reward in heaven is great, Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, if Jesus says it's great, it's great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the Apostle James picks up the same thing that he heard Jesus speak on the Sermon on the Mount in James 5, 10, and 11. We've we've gone through the book of James, but let me say this again. He says, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now he goes to the prophets. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, the patience of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. And notice what he says. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. God is compassionate and merciful. 
So what James is telling us and the persecuted believers, as Peter is saying, he speaks about the patriarch Job was a classic example of patient endurance to the end under suffering. Blessed by God, the Spirit of God is resting upon you. And he speaks about preserving faith, right? Must preserve perseverance of the saints. Isn't that a wonderful doctrine? Jesus is the one that preached it. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. You got to make it all the way to the end of the finish line faithfully. First Peter four twelve back to four twelve. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Testing as though some strange thing happening to you. So the first thing to deal with in suffering is to expect it. We are to expect it. We expect it. It helps us find comfort there. So we're not shocked and amazed and surprised that when it comes our way. It's part of God's mysterious design. A lot of people wants to know why, why, why. Look, you, you can ask God these things in prayer. David did as well. But I'm telling you, God has a perfect design for it. He has a purpose because... Everything that He does is in perfect harmony with His his plan. He makes no mistake. He does all things well. Amen? So we are not shocked when it comes. We're not surprised. And also there's something else that I, I, I like to think that suffering does. It definitely purifies, doesn't it? It's going to purify the church. God's going to let suffering come. It's going to burn the tares away from the wheat. I can guarantee you this. By the authority of the Word of God, when true suffering hits the church, it purifies and separates the tares from the wheat. That will happen. Um, Purification. Purification. It purifies our own lives. It purifies the sins of our own lives. It helps us see these things come to the surface. Peter says this by the Holy Spirit which comes upon you for your testing. It's your testing. Suffering for righteousness sakes not only purifies and refines, but it also reveals. It reveals who God's people really are. Are you a true born again child of God or are you just a false convert using the name of Christ and have a form of godliness? You know, Jesus illustrated this truth. You can turn there if you like to, but... It's in the parable of the soils. Jesus spoke of in chapter 13 of Matthew, Matthew's gospel in verse 5 and 6. I, I'm not going to read all of it, but let me give you just an example of what Jesus said. He says this, Others, speaks of seeds here, fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. Isn't it wonderful how Jesus takes these illustrations from the agriculture and from nature. They did not have depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Now he gives an interpretation of this because our Lord describes actually a very shallow and adequate response to the, procl- to the proclamation of the gospel message. So some did not allow the seed of the word of God to take root And because their heart, the ground, is like their heart. They could not penetrate the crusty hardness of the heart, so the seed could not go into good ground. So when persecution comes, it reveals their response to the gospel. Don't we see this today? And when this response comes, it's superficial. It's all external because... There's not depth of root in good... It did not take root in good ground. And Jesus gives the, the interpretation to this to verse 20 and 21. Our Lord says this, The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Boy, he's gun-ho. He's ready to go at it. We see people like this everywhere. And they, 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 they begin a good race... It's almost like, as, as Paul was saying, you, you ran well, but who hindered you? And then he says this, Jesus says, immediately receive it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction 
and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. He can't handle the persecution. So as a child of God, we are to expect suffering. Amen? Let's go to the second point. It's found in the next two verses, verse 13 and 14. And actually, Peter wants to tell us in suffering, first of all, we are to expect suffering, but we also to rejoice in suffering. We are to rejoice in suffering. The Word of God says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Incredible, isn't it? Look at that little phrase. I like to point you to. Keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. Don't you, don't you love the Word of God? That's not past tense. That's present tense. You keep on rejoicing. You rejoice and rejoice. And, and Paul said that in Philippians. It's the book of rejoicing, isn't it? And he was spending time in prison in a, in a, uh, in, in a terrible dungeon where he was being persecuted for Jesus' sake and he was a prisoner of the Lord. And yet the Word of God was not bound. And he said this, Rejoice and again I say rejoice. Keep on rejoicing. That's the revelation. That's what God is wanting to tell us. When suffering comes our way, no matter how bad and what the degree it is, we are to keep on rejoicing. And that is the right attitude that we are to have. We are to expect it and we are to rejoice and keep on rejoicing. Right in the midst of suffering and persecution. This is the right attitude, the godly attitude that Christians are to have in suffering. Keep on rejoicing. And again, he's echoing what Jesus, our Master, our Lord and Savior says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 12, I'm sorry, 10 through 12, as I already mentioned to you about blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Be exceedingly glad. Keep on rejoicing. In other words, and <clears throat> you're really in good company because the prophets were persecuted. The godly men were persecuted. Let's, let's remember that. When we are persecuted for Jesus' sake and for His name's sake and for righteousness' sake, we are in good company. Very good company. That should give us cause to rejoice. Christians are to rejoice in their sufferings for righteousness' sake. Now, let me ask the question. Why keep on rejoicing? That's a loaded question because there's so much behind it. Because the why gives us the motivation, right? The motive. I love Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount because that whole sermon, Jesus, literally, it's almost like crosshairs are aimed at the heart and He deals with the motive after motive. Why do you pray? Why do you give? Why do you tithe? Why do you rejoice? Why? 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 And He tells us and He gets to the heart of the matter. He gets right to the heart. It's convicting. It searches us out. Rightly so. So, if, if we are to rejoice, why do we keep rejoicing? Well, it's present tense, it's future tense. But verse 13 tells us, Peter tells us, because the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. Let's underscore that. We are actually, people who are suffering for Christ's sake are sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. They're suffering for Christ's sake, but also they're they're in union and mingling in in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, that's a glorious privilege, isn't it? It should give us cause of great rejoicing. Now, let me mention this at the, at the front of this, that statement that we can never share in the atoning sufferings of Christ. No one could even touch that. Jesus did that and did that alone. There, there is a degree of suffering, and I personally believe this, that as, as the man, God-man, He suffered to a point of degree that we will never know. He took the wrath of God within three hours, and God poured all of His wrath upon Him. We will never be able to touch that, beloved. Not even the prophets, the apostles, no one can come close to that. Jesus did that, and he did that alone. And I love the phrase, he went a little further, and only Jesus could go a little further. But we can, 
share in the sufferings in the same way as a sense as Jesus endured as a man. Not as God necessarily, but he did suffer as both there as the God man, but <clears throat> not the atoning sufferings because Jesus is the sin bearer. But he endured as a man, we can share such as rejection and reproach. We can receive the wounds and the scars in our bodies which unbelievers would still like to inflict upon Jesus. And we are His body. We stand in the way. We are His voice. And in a sense, we speak for God. They hate the message. It's not necessarily us. No. It is for Christ's sake. For His sake and the truth. And I'm telling you, people do not like to hear the truth. All this is by faith, by the way. And by faith alone in Jesus Christ, by not of something of our own making. Hebrews 11. I love Hebrews 11. I wrote this down here. <clears throat> faith chapter, verse 24 through 27. says this, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen to this. Choosing rather to suffer. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. In other words, he chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God. Rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. Verse 26. Consider the re- considering the reproach of Christ. Listen to that. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches. There's the eternal perspective, beloved. The greater riches of Christ. Something that the world cannot even match. Or even compare to. And then the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. There it is. He was looking to the reward, just as Jesus did, to the glory on the other side, for the joy that was set before Jesus. Moses even looked to the reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He didn't fear Pharaoh, for he endured. Why did he endure? As seeing him who's invisible. His faith's eye was on God and God alone. On Christ. On Christ. So if the child of God can rejoice today in the midst of suffering, how much more can he rejoice and be exceedingly glad when Christ's glory is revealed? Oh, beloved, when the Lord Jesus comes in great power and glory, as He is now the Savior, He will come back then as the judge. When He comes back in great power and glory with all the holy angels... The lion of the tribe of Judah will arise and come back. And the earth will melt. And He will be revealed as the Almighty Son of God. Beloved, those who suffer now for His sake will be honored then with Him when He comes. And you read through Revelation there. His reward is with Him. His reward is with Him. His reward with Him. Let me give you an example to one of the churches in Smyrna. There are several churches there. There's rebuke and there's condemnation. But here, the Lord Jesus gives a, 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 commends them because they're persecuted. Notice this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. And Jesus says this, And to the angel, the messenger basically, the pastor of the church in Asia Minor, he basically says to Smyrna, right? The first and the last who was dead and who has come to life. In other words, I'm resurrected, he says. And this says this, I know your tribulation. You can stop right there and be rejoicing. Jesus knows your tribulation. He knows what they were going through. This was a persecuted church. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And he commends them there because he's basically saying... You're, 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 you're in poverty, but you are rich in me. That's opposite of Laodicea. Right? Because Laodicea thought they were rich, but he says, you're really poor and naked. He says, you're rich because you're persecuted for my name's sake. And he says, and the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and they're not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And then he says this, do not fear what you are about to suffer. 
do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, and then he tells them, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. And we need to keep in mind it's only for a season, right? And what does he say? He exhorts them and says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Isn't that wonderful? What a glorious privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ. The Apostle Paul knew this. He was a, a vessel, an instrument that was chosen to suffer for God. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 21 through 31. Allow me to read these ten verses and listen to what Paul says. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak. Weakness. Listen, he's speaking about the weakness by comparison. But in whatever respect, anyone is bold. Now what he's doing, he's, uh, he's defending his apostleship. He says, I speak in foolishness. I am as just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. And then he really gets down to it. Are they servants of Christ? Wow. I speak as if, if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors. Listen to what he says. In far more labors. In far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received... From the Jews, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night in the day I was spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from, my, from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. He knew dangers. I've been in labor and hardship. Through many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, and often without food and cold and naked. Wow. Apart from such external things, there is daily pressure on me, concern for all the churches. Then he asked the question, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? And then he says this, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Now, beloved, you've got to keep in mind here, this is the Apostle Paul, and when he was first converted to Jesus Christ, and Christ came to him and changed his life forever from Saul to Paul, the Lord tells Ananias in a vision, <clears throat> and he says, go. For he's a chosen vessel, he's a chosen instrument of mine. And listen to what Jesus says. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And then in verse 16 he says, This is Jesus saying to Ananias, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This man gladly took suffering. It's almost he wanted to suffer because he saw the sufferings of Christ far more surpassing Galatians 6, 17. Who could say this but the Apostle Paul and these other apostles? From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear in, on my body the brand marks. The brand marks of Jesus. That's convicting, isn't it? Romans 8, 18. Then Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time and all that list that he just listed in Corinthians are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. Oh, beloved, if we could just understand and just get a little of that, it would change our lives. But verse 17 helps us get the picture of it. That's what he says. And if children were heirs, also heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, they were sharing in the sufferings of Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. And that's what we must remember. That if there's suffering, there's glorification. There's glory on the other end. So when we suffer, we share in the sufferings of Christ as a man. Didn't Paul mention this? He prayed that I may share in the fellowship of His sufferings, that I may know Him. No wonder these people do. I'm, Tozer said this, the great saints are the great sufferers, and those are the ones that knew God intimately because they suffered much. 
proof of the believer's ultimate glory that he suffers, whether it comes as mockery, ridicule, physical persecution, Jesus is worth it all. Amen. Let me close with this, and then I'd like to give an application very quickly. Oh, my time is up. Oh, my goodness. Can you give me just a few more minutes? Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Let's just say I'm making up for lost time, right? Hebrews 11. Notice what it says. Here's talking about saints that suffered. What, what more shall I say? Verse 32, For the time will fail me of tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jepheth, and David, Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead from the resurrect by the resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. They were tortured. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains, imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sown in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about sheepskins and goatskins, being destituted, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Wow. And all these, having gained approval through faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. And then he goes right immediately to what we are to do. All these cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12. Therefore, therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, which is all in chapter 11. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance, that means the weight, and the sin which so easily entangles us. The apostle does not leave himself out. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's the key. He's the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy sent before Him, endured the cross, there's the cross, the suffering, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's, the, there's really what we need to focus on. We fix our eyes on Jesus. That is, steadfastly, we look to Christ. We look to Christ that despised the sh- He was despised the shame. He endured the cross. And I'm telling you, beloved, You know the pattern is the same for God's people as the Master. There's a cross, then there's a crown. It's not the other way around. There's always the cross here as a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's always sufferings. There's always persecutions. Because that's the way it is. This world, does, and then it's fallen depravity, will not accept this message unless the Spirit of God supernaturally intervenes with regeneration. And that's what we pray for, right? But the cross is always first, then the crown. Suffering first, then glory. No cross, no crown. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But the joy that was set before Him, there's a joy that is set before us. That's why we're disciples of Jesus. We follow Him. And since we have such so great a cloud of witness, isn't that wonderful? Let us lay aside every weight. Notice this. Every encumbrance. Every encumbrance. And the sin. There's a difference between the weight and the sin here. They're separate. And what he's saying is, you're a runner. You're running in this race. And you've got to lay aside the weight so you can run faster and run with endurance. Lay that weight aside. Lay that anything that would trip you up and slow you down and slow us down going onward toward Jesus. We go forward. Anything that would entangle you, anything that would trip you up, lay it aside. Amen? Number one, say we must lay aside the weight. Then the sin. And I really believe this to the context of everything is said in Hebrews 
in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about the sin of unbelief. We must, we must put to death that sin of unbelief. Mortify the deeds of the body, the fleshly deeds of the body, refusing to turn away. In other words, what he's saying, anyone that's refusing to turn away from law-keeping to, to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we can get so easily entangled up with that. It could trip us up. Because somehow we think we could do this. There, in sanctification, there is a work that we do, but it is God working in us, right? It's God. Endurance. A steady determination to keep on going and not to give up. And I give you that exhortation today. You keep on going. You do not give up. Regardless of the temptations that's come your way. Regardless of anything that has slowed you down. Look unto Jesus. And keep fighting the good fight of faith. Agonize to the end. And as Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 9. And I close with this. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. And they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box, I fight, in other words, in such a way as not being, as beating the air. In other words, what he's saying, there's purpose behind this race. There's purpose behind this fight. And then he says this, and this is the key right here, folks, in sanctification, okay? But I discipline my body. I discipline my body and I make it my slave. I make it my slave. I like what MacArthur says. We don't buffet our body, we buffet it. (laughs) Too many of us is buffeting it, right? My body... I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, and he realized this as a preacher of the gospel, as an apostle, that I myself would not be disqualified, a castaway. In other words, I myself, if I'm not careful, if I'm not exercising self-control in my sanctification, I could fall away just the same. Let us... Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He made it, you can make it too. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time together, Lord. In Your Word, Your Word is so good. It sanctifies us wholly. It cleanses us. Lord, we need this Word today, Lord. We need, when the time comes, Lord, when it does come, may we be prepared, a prepared people ready to fight the good fight of faith unto the, unto the very end. Lord, help us to be faithful to You to the end for Your name's sake. And Lord, You said there's great reward for us. You are our great reward, most of all. As You told Abraham, You're His great, exceedingly reward. But we thank You, Father, that there is the kingdom of God, a great city where You dwell with all Your people, worshiping and praising You. Lord, as the church militant now, one day would be part of the church triumphant. Help us to be faithful to the end. For Jesus' name's sake and for Your glory. Amen and amen.